internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette for ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. Well, the world, uh, there's a lot going on uh, here in, in the US of A. Uh, before we begin, uh, I want to encourage everyone to, if you haven't already, or if you feel like you want to do more, uh, donating to causes that are supporting the protesters here in America that are protesting police violence uh, in general, but more specifically, police violence against black people. Um, and if you uh, have already donated, share those links, uh, get out there and you know check out some education resources, share those education resources, anything you can do to help, I, I would recommend if you're looking for places to donate, if you're looking for resources, you can go to blacklivesmatters.carrd.co. So blacklivesmatters.carrd, that's two R's, dot C-O. And there you can sign petitions, uh, text or make phone calls. There are donation links. Uh, there are more resources. There are resources for protesters, all kinds of things you can do. Uh, and I also just want to say thank you to everyone who is out there protesting. Thank you to people who are uh, making donations and doing things to improve the lives of, uh, as far as I'm concerned, all Americans, but specifically black Americans in our country. It is long past due. Thank you. And so specifically, we wanted to talk about, uh, we're going to do a biography this week. And this was your idea. So please explain. Yes, so we're going to our biography today is the biography of Mary Ellen Pleasant. And um I was first introduced to her um on a television program called Drunk History. Now here's the, well, <laughs> let me just stop you right there because I want to say one of the things that I love so much about pop culture but specifically the way Teresa and I consume pop culture, is I learn a lot of things from what many people would consider comedy programs. <laughs> so, I mean, and that ranges from stuff like The Daily Show, right. uh, Last Week Tonight, which I think is both wonderful educational, but also to stuff like Super Sizers Go, which we've talked about many times in the show, Drunk History. There's a great show called Horrible History. Yeah, which is that's like, a BBC show. Yeah, and which is ostensibly like perfect for like showing... To like middle schoolers in mm-hmm. class, it seems like it was designed to be like, "Hey, today we're going to watch a TV show while I, I don't know, take a nap because I'm a really hungover teacher in this scenario." <laughs> but it is also great. But drunk history has taught me a lot about history. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of sad that I had never heard of Mary Ellen Pleasant before this because she was an awesome lady. Well, that's the thing that I see a lot of people talking about too, which is. We talk a lot about history, mm-hmm. and a lot of the times the biographies that we have done and like the rules that we have focused on do tend to be pretty white person centric. And one of the reasons for that that a lot of people are talking about right now, as well as they should, is that history books were for the most part written by white people. It's true, and so a lot of uh, amazing black innovators, black scientists, black inventors, black cultural figures were more or less written out of the history books because it didn't fit with the narrative that the the white constructors of history were trying to create. Exactly. Um, so Mary Ellen Pleasant is often called the mother of civil rights in San Francisco. 
Um, that's this where our, I think our second San Francisco biography in a month. It is Ugh. interesting. I didn't do that on purpose, but is it because I've been baking a lot of sourdough bread? Mm. Is that it? We've got a lot of sourdough in our veins. <laughs> By the way, we should see a doctor. That's not where that's the not where it's to supposed be. to go. No, no, no. Um, I did name my sourdough starter Joshua. I, I don't know if that's not, I named after, it after Joshua Norton. After Joshua Norton. Well, yes. that's I mean sourdough San Francisco. That's where it went. Josh Norton yes. makes sense. Anyway, um, and not only was she a civil rights activist and abolitionist, she was an entrepreneur, and okay. that's I mean the the mass business uh, network is is so fascinating to me um, as far as her her life goes. So, um. It's assumed that Mary Ellen was born in the 1800s in the month of August, but different sources have different years. Um, Her own autobiography, she has three of them, by the way. You should check those out. Um, Her own autobiographies have different days. (laughs) Okay. Uh, um, And... A lot of people say that she was born into slavery on a Georgia plantation, but she herself says in one of her autobiographies that she was born free in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose just her. Well, okay. We'll, we'll go well, and back and forth between not, that. Well, here's the thing. Here's the way I look at it. If that's the narrative she wants to create, exactly. I'd like to trust her. There, she creates several narratives, and none of these, these different... Uh, stories of her origins do her justice as far as just the amount of of i'm gonna say like social structuring she did for black people okay um so we'll we'll never really know for sure maybe she was a young slave bought out of slavery maybe you know well, maybe she was born free it's maybe she was born free uh, but we do know that she was separated from her family very young um she somehow wound up in nantucket in her early teens and she was working as a servant for a white family this is when she learned how to read and write as, because she was working in the family shop. Um, and it's also assumed that working for this family is where she began to become so so deeply passionate about the abolitionist movement because this family um, was working for the abolitionist movement. So okay. I'm I'm hesitant to say that she was um, was part of the abolitionist network at this point, but she certainly has this white family, uh, this position in the white family is where she started out her abolitionist uh, ideals. Okay. So if this is her, at the very least, definitely made connections to the abolitionist network and like, Yes. To to this kind of anti-slavery movement. Exactly. Though I imagine she was probably already pretty anti-slavery. Yes. 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 So it was a good fit. Um, she married her first husband, James Smith, uh, also. What a boring name. Oh, well. Listen, I don't mean, I, maybe he was a good guy, maybe he was a cool dude. But I bet at this point in America, there were 18 bajillion James Smith. It's one step above John Smith. 
which is another boring name. And listen, oh no, now I just realized, if you're listening to this and you're named James Smith, you're great. It's a cool name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry I said anything. Backpedaling. It just sounds, I'm, say, I'm just saying, sounds like a made up name. It's the name I think the doctor, no, the doctor uses John Smith whenever they need to give like a, a fake name or something. They say, I think it's whatever. It's not, none of this is germane. None of this none is None of important. this is germane because uh, he was also an abolitionist and together they worked the Underground Rail- Railroad um, possibly as slave stealers, possibly hiding people, um, nice. but definitely helping them get all the way to Canada. Nice. Um, he died because oh. people do. Wow. Well, hey, they do. I mean, so what you mean is so far. Yeah. Everyone has died so far. That doesn't mean I'm going to. Please. Of course. But he did leave her a bunch of money, which was awesome, and told her to never abandon the cause, which she absolutely never did. Good on you, Mary Ellen. Okay. We are now up to 1848, where she fell in love with John James Pleasant. Okay. Um, I'm just saying, that's a cool name. That's a cool name. John right? James Pleasant? John James Pleasant. That's, oh, I like that name. It's oh. a strong name. Well, from now on, you're going to like every name, because all names are good. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a fun name to say. Okay. Um, and it's speculated that they got married, although no records of their marriage exist. But she did um, bear his name until she died. Um, <clears throat> they were forced to move to New Orleans uh, due to their uh, their activities on the Underground Railroad. Um, and that is when the gold rush happened. Okay, yes, I've, I've heard of this. Uh, 1850, We should California. do a whole episode on the gold rush, by the way. Sure, yeah, yeah. let's do it. Are you going to research it? Uh, yeah, sure. You heard it here, folks. Hold them to it. Yeah, because I'll forget. <laughs> 1850 is when California joined the Union um, and joined as a free state. So no matter who you were, you could go to California and find your fortune. More about that. Probably you didn't. But yeah, that's a, listen, spoiler alert for when we do the Gold Rush episode. Most of the people who made their money from the Gold Rush made it by selling supplies, by selling things to people who were trying to find gold. Right. right there were not right, right. many people who got rich from the gold rush by mining and panning for gold. Like, it's people like Levi Strauss and people like selling, you know, those kinds of goods and materials to people who were trying to Okay, mine. but spoilers. Okay. So, in uh, April of 1852, that is when... Uh, they moved to San Francisco. And so here is the stroke of genius and the sad part about the society uh, of the day. She was light-skinned enough to be able to pass as a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she used her husband's surname um, and got a job as a cook and domestic servant in a San Francisco businessman's home. Um and this is something that was not available to black people of the day. This was not a job that um, that was really something that 
that people could look forward to, there was a lot more of manual labor jobs available, but uh, domestic service was one thing that because she could pass as white, she was able to take care of. Got it. And here is where she met some of the city's most wealthy and powerful men right there, like serving them soup. Yep. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. She was basically invisible to the men that she was serving. And that's not to say that because she was black, she was invisible. It's but because dem- she was the working class. She because was- she was working class, right? And we've talked about the idea that the servants should just kind of like swoop in and be just out of, uh, you know, just out of eyesight. And I think that we've even talked about hand signals and things like that, that the host and hostess usually would, uh, would give to the servants and things like that. Um, but... What she did was she was able to listen and pick up tips about uh, investment opportunities, gossip, business advice. And one of her biographers said in an interview that it was probably um, a almost a cover for Mary Ellen Pleasant uh, to get insider tips from these powerful, powerful men. But I mean, like I said, as a servant, you were basically invisible anyway. Yeah. Um. And not to say that she wasn't awesome at her job as well. She was an incredible chef. Um, So she didn't have to seek out business tips. These businessmen were coming to her to basically have be be fed by her. Yeah. And not only that, people like to brag and say, like, here's a cool thing that I know that will impress you. So people started like basically a bidding war to get her to come and be their personal chef, offering her more and more money while she was getting all these business tips by being in the room. Uh huh. So at that point, she probably made about $500 a month. Um, and using that money, plus the inheritance from her late husband, she invested in real estate, in gold, in silver mines. And so now she had investments that would pay for things for her to open her businesses. She opened laundry businesses. She opened restaurants and boarding houses. She became like a mogul. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Be that's ex- incredible. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Are you... Sorry. I, I was just like, <laughs> yeah. They rule, like, yeah. I, in a statement of fact, that's awesome. Um. So because of this, because of her innate business, uh, business prowess and all of these tips that she got from these businessmen while they were eating her delicious delicious food um she was actually invited into the upper social circles um and by the late 1850s she was a super wealthy lady nice and here's where it happens right she could have just like enjoyed all her money enjoyed her money and enjoyed her lifestyle and just kept on keeping on getting big bucks right Uh but instead she really put her money where her mouth was into the abolitionist movement um so she bought freedom for slaves she would also offer them uh, continuing financial support she hired countless black people to work in her various businesses which like i said was unheard of at the time because most of these kind of middle class, emerging middle class, 
<clears throat> excuse me, positions were still held by white people. And a lot of the manual labor was done by black people, even if they were free. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would help these people move up in society by using her clout and her and her money. Um, and they would become like some of the great black leaders of the city. Um, and in 1857, that was when she was like, how can I do more? I got to do more. So she left San Francisco to go join John Brown. Um, and if you haven't heard of John Brown, he is a very outspoken, famous abolitionist. Yeah, it, I, from West Virginia, know of John Brown very well uh, because of Harbors Ferry, West Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe that's a whole other thing we should talk about. We are getting ideas right and left. Love it. Um, and together, they bought land in Canada. Remember how I, how I talked about how they would help um, help slaves get to Canada, which is where they could, you know... They not could be slaves. <laughs> not be slaves, but also in the their social strata be more free, right? Yeah. Even if you weren't a slave in the U.S. at the time, you were still bogged down socioeconomically. Yeah. Um, and she actively supported his cause and sent him about thirty thousand dollars to is help. What eighteen fifty? Eighteen fifty seven. Okay, I'm gonna look up how much that is. Oh, okay. Um, and this after this contribution, John Brown hoped that he would provoke a large armed slave uprising, but this is when he got caught. Mm. Um, so. Mary Ellen went back to San Francisco to continue to run her businesses and help black people in her in her own um, her own city. Um, the, so anyone who's wondering, thirty thousand dollars in eighteen fifty seven would be worth eight hundred and eighty four thousand dollars today. Wow! Yeah. Um, on December second was when John Brown got caught and tried for uh, murder and treason, um, and. This is where I don't want to say that the that the poop hits the fan, but this was a a real close shave for Mary Ellen because in his pocket was a note from Mary Ellen. The note said, "The axe is laid at the foot of the tree. When the first blow is struck, there will be more money to help." M E P. Ah, and where people are like M E P. It's 1857. That could be anybody. <laughs> that could be anybody. No, but uh, lucky for us, people are dumb. So they misread the letters, and apparently the M looked like a W. Oh, okay. Um, so when this note was uh, was put in the newspapers as like kind of a lookout for this person, we know what they're doing, what they're up to. Uh, they were looking for W E P. Okay. Whew, wipes yeah. the sweat off the brow. Yeah. And we really only know this because she admitted it shortly before her death. Yeah. That's the only way we found out. Okay. So, back in San Francisco, 1860s, she's got boarding houses. She's got laundry businesses. She's got restaurants. She's... She's got it all. She's everywhere. Um, and helping black people at every turn. And she would often dress below her station so as not to draw attention to herself. She all this a time, genius. She is a genius. She is a genius. Um, all this time, she's still uh, saying that she is a white woman. 
Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, we've talked about, like, I say she's a genius, right? Because, like, that is a move. The wherewithal to be like, if I dress too fancy, right? If I draw too much attention to myself, people are going to start, like, looking into who is this person. Mm -hmm. Socially, like, we've talked about, especially in the mid-1800s, right? We've talked about this on the show so many times. So much was about, like, society and, like, understanding, like, where the money is and who has money and who is influential. And so, not even from a gossiping way, but just, like, if there is new money, right, there are... There are countless people who are going to be like, well, now I want to know everything about them. Exactly. And if they dig too far into her, like, past and being and stuff, her whole game is going to be, like, you know, up, right? (laughs) So this idea of, like, I'm going to play it really cool and keep it low down and not live extravagantly and not draw a lot of attention to myself is just genius. And she was um, was still making that bank. Yeah. She got involved with a young bank clerk named Thomas Bell. And he was already making a ton of money selling mercury, which was a yeah, big deal in the 1800s. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Um, you can listen to the Mercury episode of Sawbones if you want to learn about mercury. Yeah. But teaming up with Mary Ellen was really where his business potential was unlocked. Um. <clears throat> It's possible, possible that they had a romantic relationship, but probably not. Um, There are different sources about that. Uh, But what is certain is they began to invest in a variety of businesses with Pleasant leading the way, Um, except she was so savvy. Oh, man, she was so savvy that always looking over her shoulder, knowing that the the that the whole thing could blow up in her face at any point, she starts putting a lot of her investments in his name. Genius. 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 Um, And all of that would help her in 16, sorry, 1865, when the Civil War was over, and she went down to the San Francisco Public Directory and changed her racial, racial designation from white to black boom mic drop okay so once again genius because this is great for two reasons that well well so the investments in the dude's name in bell's name is one once again it's there are people especially even if she is passing as white at this point she's still a woman right and so if people are like she's making a lot of investments what is this lady's deal right a lot of scrutiny there and two if as you have said the uh the, I'm gonna say stuff because saying poop hits the fan feels so wrong. <laughs> if the stuff hits the fan, then like the investments are in his name, so it's like right. it's still covered, and they're and, still cool. And then for her after the Civil War to be like, oh, by the way, boom! <laughs> it's just such a power move. It really is. It really is. Um, in 1866, this is another one of her, like, milestones of her career. She and two other black ladies were kicked off of a city streetcar um, because at that point, it was like, you know, we are all familiar with in the 60s. Rosa Parks. Rosa and- Parks and, and the... Um, the bus boycott. If we're going to mention Rosa Parks, I want to also mention Claudette Hoven, uh, another uh, great drunk history episode about yeah. Claudette Hoven, uh, the person who uh, was first kicked off the bus, and then Rosa Parks took up 
the kind of like the the carried it from that point forward to get more notoriety for it. But it actually happened to Claudette Colvin first. She was the person who refused to get off, and she did not get recognized for a long, long time. Uh, but uh, it was Claudette Colvin that started the the bus boycott story, and then Rosa Parks became the face of it. But I wanted to mention that to make sure because we're talking about history, and I want to make sure that that is accurate. Yes. Great. Um, so they were kicked off the city streetcar. And then because she had money, because she was in society, she fronted a civil suit for racial discrimination. In, in like 1866. 18... Okay. Amazing. They... Um, they went after two different cable car companies. One of the streetcars um, even announced that they would allow black people on their streetcars with no more forced removal. Okay. So you win some, you lose some. Only one of the companies, but... But still, 1866. Yeah. It's huge for that point. It went so far, it went all the way up to the California Supreme Court. And she led the way for the desegregation of the city streetcars. <sighs> this Mary Ellen Pleasant is amazing. Um. Okay. So, we've been talking about the money, right? Uh-huh. We keep talking about how many businesses she had, uh, how she had her had her hands in basically everything and was a mogul. Yes. I want to talk about that money. Okay. The money that... Uh, <laughs> this, this number is so unfathomable to me. Her fortune, she was probably worth... Close to $850 million. Whoa. And wait, in today's money? In today's money. Oh, okay. Because if that was in 1860s money, that's so much money. But even now, that's even still so now, much money. Don't be wrong. So much, money. so much money. Yes. That is so much money. And she had a, a beautiful Victorian style home, um, uh, probably worth about $2.4 million today. <sighs> Which, I mean, we're talking about California real estate, so <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a lot of millions uh, in California real estate. It's incredible. Um, and they had a, a thousand dollar, uh, sorry, a thousand acre ranch in the Sonoma Valley. Um, this is where, you know, you, you think about a life, you think about a career, and they go up, and they go up, and they go up, and... Sometimes they go down. Is this where it goes down? This is this is where the downward turn oh, no. begins. What happened? In the 1880s. Uh San Francisco was a was a big port city uh-huh. for a lot of immigration. Uh-huh. Um and so the the racist sentiments were climbing and climbing. We at talked this about point. this in the Joshua Norton episode too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, rumors started circulating that she was Belle's mistress, mm-hmm. which was frowned upon at that point, that her boarding houses were actually brothels, and that she was using a voodoo spell to control the wealthy whites. Racist. That's so... Because uh. um, it couldn't just be that she's good at business. Couldn't, couldn't just, just be that. Couldn't just be that she's a genius. In 1883... This is uh, where things turned from bad to worse because it wasn't just the rumor mill and society turning against her. It was actual legal action. Uh, uh-huh. I know. She got entangled in the trial of Nevada Senator William Sharon. He was accused. <laughs> Your baby Dot has joined us. She's singing. 
<laughs> he was accused of seducing and then abandoning a young woman named Sarah Hill. Um, and just like today, there was a media circus all around it. Yeah. And uh, the entire United States was following these proceedings. What does that have to do with Mary Ellen? Well, she was friends with Sarah Hill and she... Uh, and then William Sharon's lawyers claimed that Pleasant had used voodoo to manipulate oh Sarah. God. It's ridiculous that, that any of this was allowed in court, and that right? That was, yeah, that, that was the court. Ugh. Yeah. Um, they said that Pleasant had used dark voodoo forces to make Sarah trap the senator in a compromising position. Ugh. Ugh. How messed up, right? Yes. The fact that you could say that and anybody would be like, oh, okay. Like, um, here is the weird thing about this trial, right? As a kind of, uh, <laughs> I'm very distracted by her singing. As a subtle screw you to the trial, Mary Ellen actually brought a voodoo doll with her to court. Okay. <laughs> and claimed before the jury that she would use it to kill the senator. <laughs> okay. I don't know how good a move that is, but I think that's a really cool thing to do. And then the senator died. <gasps> oh, boy. <laughs> okay. That might have backfired a little bit. Yeah. So basically, this confirmed her as an evil, mythical voodoo priestess. She had to at that point be like, okay, wait, hold Whoa. on. You all had to see that was a joke, right? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Just around the same time, they were trying to paint her as a cruel and evil witch doctor. Um, People in the press started giving her a racist nickname of Mammy Pleasant. Uh, uh. I feel like, so this, this woman who had done her best to do right by everybody because racism is terrible did not deserve the defamation that comes with all of this no should she have brought a voodoo doll to court maybe not I stand by it's a baller move but (laughs) let's just see but Mammy Pleasant no this this seems like this strikes me as like the cowardice of the pylon of like this person who very clearly uh, a lot of things uh like socially were probably against her you know she's a woman mm-hmm. she's black she is rich like these things that like people are already kind of like going to like scoff at and turn their noses at right where there were probably all of these racist cowards who wouldn't say anything against her while public opinion is like she's great Right, but as soon as they see any kind of opportunity of like, oh, now she's associated with this court case. Now these rumors are spreading about it. Now that they would pile on and be like, oh yeah, we don't like her either. And it's like, you cowards! You like, you would never say anything. You would hide and wait for your opportunity to take a dig at this woman who has done nothing but use her prowess and genius to get to where she is and to help people. And you're going to take this opportunity to dig at her because you are a tiny person who can't see someone that you hate succeed. It gets a little worse. Oh, no. Usually the worst thing it has to be is then they die. I know, but not yet. 
1899. And she died too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody does. So far. Yes, so far. Please don't take this away from me. It's the only thing that lets me sleep at night. 1899, Thomas Bell dies. Okay. Um, and his widow ran a full smear campaign in the San Francisco Chronicle. Against Marianne? Yeah. <sighs> she titled it The Queen of the Voodoos. Oh, no. Miss Bell, Mrs. Bell painted her as a monster, accusing her of witchcraft, saying that she had murdered Bell. But these business partners were so entrenched in the whole thing where uh, basically his son sued her for uh, half of her fortune because they were so entrenched together. And because so much of the stuff was in Bell's name. Yeah which had protected her previously, ruined her in this, right? So, so much of it was in Belle's name that she had to, she had no claim to it. She had to give it up. Ugh. Um, so, this is, this is the end. <laughs> in 1904, at the age of 89, she died. She um, was kind of, I mean... For all intents and purposes, she was put out. You know, she was living on uh, on her in her on the kindness of her friends, um, and I think that you know, one good turn deserves another, right? She put a lot of people in jobs. She put a lot of people in uh, in the upper strats of society, and thankfully, these people took care of her when yeah. she was on the outs as well. I, I, it's weird. To suddenly feel the deep vein of feeling that I am feeling about someone who died 116 years ago. But it just feels like, like I was saying about like the pile on, mm-hmm. that as we hear all of these stories about like self, quote unquote, self made people throughout history, and we talk about stuff like Rockefeller and, uh, you know, and, uh, Carnegie and these people, right? That like they built these fortunes and they were seen as as idols, as someone you would want to be, right? So the idea that not only did they got to keep their fortune and pass it on to their children and pass it on to their families, right? But that they somehow deserved it because they worked hard and because yeah, the of who bootstrap they were. fallacy. Right. The, and and the thing is, is like. You hear those stories and you're like, these were the people that everyone was striving to be. And then you hear a story about a woman, a black woman, who literally pulled herself up, who like who started from nothing and became a multimillionaire. And that as soon as there was any kind of whether it be age or opportunity of weakness or whatever everyone just wanted to take it away from her. And that that was not a thing that she was not seen as this pillar of of American, you know, hardworking ingenuity and bootstrap mentality, but rather an outsider, an other that didn't deserve to keep what she had. And that is just so... I mean, it's it's one of those things where, where maybe... It's th- disgraceful, is what it is. It's disgraceful, and I also think that this is a moment of where I have to acknowledge my own privilege, where I'm horrified that something like that would happen, and the fact that I'm surprised by it 
and horrified by it says a lot about the history that we have been taught and that it seems to me like, but isn't a self-made person celebrated? And it's like, yes, apparently if they are a white man. Yep. Um, And that is uh, disgusting to me. I mean, and that's the thing, not to bring it back to this, but the fact that we are here and it is, you know, uh, almost 120 years later and we're still dealing with socioeconomic uh, injustice and just racial injustice against minorities and specifically black people is like, this is disgusting that we're still here. And uh, so listen, before we wrap up. Oh, I did want to say. Yes. There is a small park dedicated to her in San Francisco. um, And they oftentimes ghost tours go past the park saying that she haunts it and throws stuff at people. Um, But in 2005... Cut that out. Cut that out. Don't do that. That's not helping. Okay. In 2005, San Francisco came together to create a holiday in her honor as well as display her belongings so more citizens could learn about this forgotten mother of American civil rights. Yes. I I think Mary Ellen Pleasant sounds amazing. Uh incredible thank you for telling me about her uh thank everybody for listening i want to encourage everybody one more time go to uh black lives matters dot c a r r d dot c o black lives matters dot c a r r d dot c o you can find uh like tips for protesters including uh pro bono lawyers uh treatment for tear gas protest first aid tips uh safety while protesting uh your rights uh all kinds of things um and there's also places to donate there's uh that one of my favorite uh that is really a great idea um if you are saying like well I, do, I don't have any money to donate under places to donate you can uh one there's donate with no money a literally a link says donate with no money um and a playlist on YouTube that you can watch and if you follow there's instructions in like the description but if you follow that and just let it play it will make money for Black Lives Matters without you having to donate anything. It'll just be through like YouTube uh, payments. So there are ways to help even if you aren't able to donate. Go check it out one more time. Blacklivesmatters.carrd.co um, So yeah, thank you. this is usually where we do all our other thank yous and stuff, but I think that that is the most important thing. So I want to leave it there. Go check out that card. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Schmanners, Schmanners. Get it. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.